Welcome to The Hive from Tejitos' Sustainable Travel, a podcast for meaningful travel stories. We invite guests who have traveled abroad for more than just leisure travel, be it internships, volunteering, or study abroad, either as solo travelers or as part of a group. We also talk to local communities who receive and host these travelers and measure their impact. This is a podcast chronicling sustainable travel. My name is Wesley Maraire, Business Development Executive at Territorial Sustainable Travel and your host of The Hive. Today, I'm joined by Falashide, somebody who combines one of the primary considerations for many people, myself included. When we're thinking about traveling, we think, am I uh, going to do a hike? Am I going to do a cycling tour? Am I going to stay in a three-star, five-star hotel? But the thing that attracts me to destinations or places and cities is with the food. In my local language of Shona in Zimbabwe, we say, meaning you cannot say you have a relationship with somebody unless if you've shared a meal with them. And so food is right there on the top of the list when I'm deciding where to go. So I'm very honored that we get to talk about food and its relationship to travel. Thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I love that saying, I, I fundamentally believe that food is a gateway. Um, you, you know, you learn the world, you experience it one bite at a time. To your point, it opens doors, it builds bridges um, and relationships. And you learn about someone's culture, um, their history and everything else through food, um, how you engage with it, how you connect with it, how they connect with it. Um, so, you know, I'm a firm believer that when I'm traveling and when I'm trying to develop trips for my tri- my clients, how do we incorporate food and what are those elements and how do you see the world through that vision of food? Absolutely, absolutely. I am so looking forward to having this, this conversation and picking out one or two itineraries that we can talk about um, in terms of travel and how food is incorporated in, in one of those. But to kick us off, You know, this podcast is centered around sustainability within trap. Mm -hmm. And so let's, you know, find our Santa and have you say a little bit about what your thoughts are, whether it's in your personal travel or in the itineraries that you design for your clients. Sure. You know, I, I think when, when we talk about sustainable travel, since it's the new buzzword or it's the new catchphrase for a lot of people, um, they look at it high level. Oh, you know, I, I've gotten rid of, I'm drinking out of my own water bottle today. Um, and that's all that I'm doing. Not thinking about the impacts that we have as we travel. You know, the good thing about in, the Instagrams of the world is it's visual um, and it gives you an opportunity to give insight into some places Um, that you've never seen before. The bad thing about an Instagram is sometimes you will have people flooding to a destination, um, you know, without care. They're just there. They're not really there to experience it. It's, I need to get my snap. Um, Irregardless of what I'm doing with the locals, am I engaging with the locals? This is just a really pretty photo. And sometimes it's now becoming over tourists, um, you know, 
because you never heard of it. So I have to go there. So it becomes congested and all of these other things. We don't think about it. We don't think about it with care. So it's beyond beautiful pictures. Um, you know, obviously when I think about where I'm going to choose in a perfect world, I want to look at a hotel that has sustainable practices. How are they disposing of waste? I mean, it can be a large hotel. It can be a boutique hotel. It can be a small inn, but how are you actually facilitating your waste? Where are you doing all of these things? How are you that, you know, that's generated. Um, but it's also beyond that in terms of sustainability. Are you hiring locals? Um, you know, whether that's at the front desk, when you check in at the front desk, are there locals or did you import everyone in? Because quite often we'll see, um, especially with some larger brands, the general managers are not from the place um, that they're serving. They're not in that country. They're not in that market. Um, are What opportunities are you giving? Are you, you know, are you doing harm? So my one question is, are you doing harm? Um, are you leaving it the same or better than what you left? Your goal should always be to enhance it. So are you enriching the labor market there? So are you hiring locals? When I think about guides, I tend to go with locals. One, they give an insight that you won't get if you're doing something else, um, but it's also helping the local economy. Am I eating locally? You know, am I experiencing the food? Am I doing cooking classes? So how am I doing all of these things um, to me brings in sustainability as well. Um, are you enriching that community that you're staying in, whether it's through funding, through jobs, um, through education, um, through, you know, what are your climate? Well, how are you thinking about climate control? Um, are you not overpopulating? You know, there are certain places that are just over tourists. You know, there are just simply too many tourists. So, you know, for example, if you look at, I, let's take Iceland for an example, everyone goes to Reykjavik. Are you going to other places throughout, uh, you know, Iceland that are equally as beautiful um, and not as crowded and not as discovered? Or are you just simply choosing where you're going to go because you've seen the pretty photos, um, you know, of black sand beaches and you want to go sit in a hot spring somewhere, but you're neglecting everything else in Iceland. Um, so that when I think about sustainability, those are the points that I think about. Brilliant, brilliant. And so, you know, you bring up a lot of a lot of points there, but something that kept ringing in my head was you're creating this for clients. Number one, do they care uh, or are you playing the educational role as well? I think you have to play both. Um, you know, as a travel consultant, you have to decide, you, part of your job is education because you're doing it with everything, you're a consultant. So it's, what are your desires? What are your wishes? Um, and I'm never going to tell someone you absolutely can't do something. Um, that's also not your role, but you can educate them on, these are some of the things that you're going, that I think make sense. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this place? Um, and so you get the gears turning as to what they actually want to do. So it's not simply beyond, I don't, you know, you can wake up. And again, there is nothing wrong with saying, I wanna wake up today, go lay on somebody's beach, have a mimosa and have someone bring it to me. There is nothing wrong with that. However, you can go beyond that. And so when we have a conversation, when I have a conversation with a client, I always ask, when you come back from a trip, what is it that you want to take away? What, how do you want to describe your trip that you just came from? What are the feelings that you want to invoke when you think back to like, that was a really good trip? 
What was, what did you like best about the last trip that you went? And so then you can start to build and you can craft around that and you can bring up, you know, there are certain things they're trusting my judgment. Um, they're trusting my expertise. So I'm, for example, I'm not, I'm never going to choose to put someone on a tour with 40 other people on it for a host of reasons. Um, you know, those one tend to be run by large conglomerates. Um, it doesn't have a personable feel to it. So I'm going to tend to go with someone that's either going to be private or it's going to have no more than 10 people. So one, there's an intimacy to the trip. There's also a getting to know the person who's typically local and is giving you different insights um, as they guide you through. So it is your job as a a travel professional to educate your clients. Um, You can present it to them. You can make some choices on their behalf, such as choosing their tours, choosing their hotels, um, keeping in mind what their wants and desires are. But you definitely have a, a... uh, educational role in it. Brilliant, brilliant. And what are some of the destinations that you have had to sell to clients? Uh, because, you know, in, in, in our line of work, typically we advertise there's a trip to Paris and people sign up for that particular trip. But you also have people who come and they have no idea of where exactly they want to go, but maybe they just want to go to a place where they can live in a village with uh, a local indigenous people. Are there such instances where you've had to say, okay, I see what you need and here's what will fulfill that sort of uh, travel desire? Sure. You know, you, you have the individuals that, um, for whatever reason, they, they have these dreams. It may be a bucket list dream. Um, it may be, you know what, send me someplace or I want to experience something I've never gone. So one, it's how far outside of your comfort zone are you willing to go? Um, because that's always going to determine what they're going to do. Um, how do you define, you know, where do you, what types of experiences do you want to stay at? So you can, you know, some people will, I'll give you a perfect example. A lot of people, when Cuba opened up, everyone wanted to go to Cuba. Um, a lot of people didn't like the realities of Cuba. Um, and so when it's, I'm not going to put you in a hotel in, in Cuba. I just won't. Um, but, you know, there are challenges when you can't use credit cards. And I think there was this, this natural American impulse of, oh, Cuba's open, so it must have all of the things every American wants. I'm gonna get pools, I'm gonna get a beach, I'm gonna get all of these things, it's gonna look like Miami. Um, so one, there's education that had to happen um, on the reality of what traveling, and don't get me wrong, I loved Cuba, spent a, you know, a month there um, on several occasions before they, they're still open. But educating people on what the reality is of what they're going to do, um, you know, whether they're going to stay in an Airbnb or, um, or something else, they're not, if they choose to stay at a hotel, it might not be up to the standards that they expect. Um, you know, no, you can't realistically go if you're an American, technically, if you want it to be a legal trip, you can't go lay on a beach. Oh, but my cousins did. Are your cousins Canadian or European? Because if they are, they go to Cuba for beach vacations. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so it's having that education with them and having those realistic conversations and saying, look, I remember I was at Hotel National and I struck up a conversation with a couple 
And I said, oh, how's the trip going, et cetera. He goes, well, it's okay. I just didn't like the pizza, sir. I don't know. I don't go to Cuba expecting pizza, um, mm. but I'm also a New Yorker. I don't go and eat most pizzas outside of the Northeast. Um, but it's it's this wanting and understanding. You know what? In its purest form, you probably don't want Cuba. So what I'm going to do is put you on a cruise because that's the Cuba that you you need you need to be able to walk around Havana and then get every American instance and all your American food because you like the idea of a place. You don't actually want to experience the place. And so understanding that is also a nuance. And again, certain things would not be my preference, but understanding what where that person is and meeting them where they are um, is also crucial when you're planning a trip. Um, I try I take judgment out of it um, because this is your dream, this is your trip, this is what you want to do. But if you want to actually experience it, you know what, we, you can see cigar, you can experience cigar rolling, you can learn about the techniques of cigar rolling. You can have a cooking class and come away hands-on experience cooking things. Um, you'll get to know your host, your host who's preparing you breakfast every single morning. You're going to wander the streets, you know, doing a, photo a street photography class in different cities um, throughout Cuba. So, and you're going to do experiences that you're like, oh, I didn't know this existed. You know, for example, when I was in Havana, I did um, a walking photography class with a, 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 a professor and later to find out one of the top 30 under 30 photographers in the Caribbean. And so you're doing all of these things that are outside of the norm. So you're taking a ferry with the locals. We took a bus with the locals. We went to a fishing village and had conversations. We wandered around Havana went into a local supermarket. So those are experiences that other people may, you know, and then there's this huge Afro-Latina um, history and dialogue. So you're doing all of these things that are outside of the norm. So how are you immersing yourself? How is it being culturally relevant? Um, how are you engaging with locals? Um, you know, what are those activities? Are you taking dancing lessons? Are you going to local clubs? How far are you willing to immerse yourself? And that's kind of, the experience I'll build for you. Wonderful, wonderful. And it is it is always great when we're able to educate clients and, and, and travelers, because I think they also become better travelers uh, when they mm -hmm. know that there is more to Cuba than walking the streets of Havana. And right. if it weren't for you, they would they would otherwise not know that. And so even though we might not be able to get them to change their ways immediately, you've, you've planted a seed. So next time they, yeah. they plan a trip, they're going to think, okay, so let me not do bucket list and let, let me try and travel deeper and, and get to know who's making my food and, and have a conversation with them, which I think is very valuable. Which is huge in that, you know, and then there, there's also, you know, th there's also the notion of depending on what country you're talking about. So, you know, if we look at the African continent, people are very familiar with North Africa. They're very familiar with going to South Africa. Um, but when you talk about West Africa, it becomes a, whoa, whoa, I, I don't know what's there to do. Um, you know, and I, I recall having a conversation with individuals in the industry um, where we had to have a 
bit of a education conversation here because they're like, oh, well, no, there is no tourism in West Africa. I said, no, there is, you just don't know about it. Um, and there has been tourism there for years. Just because you don't know it or you've never experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And it's been targeted to an ethnic group that has tons of history there. So there's tons of things to do in West Africa. And so then it becomes this conversation. It's like, oh, so what animals are there? Okay. <laughs> so we're going to have another conversation. Um, and so not understanding the richness, the there's, you know, throughout the continent, there's beaches, there's food, there's culinary experiences. So also, ex you know, explaining that to people or you see someone see someone something on TV and they're like, okay, I need to go there. A family came to me earlier on this year and was like, so we wanna go to Madagascar in South Africa. Okay, it's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, Madagascar is kind of challenging to get to in a good day. Why do you wanna go to Madagascar? I don't know. They watched the movie. <laughs> right, so I said, do you wanna go for this reason, this reason, this reason, or this reason? Oh, I didn't know that was there. I was like, did your children watch the movie? Well, that kind of has an influence on it. But you've also told me you don't, you know, you don't like doing multiple connections and all of these other things with your kids because your husband doesn't particularly like doing multiple connections. How about we put Madagascar to 2022 and we'll focus on South Africa and traveling through South Africa? Oh, okay. We didn't think about that. But they, you know, people watch things because it's, oh my God, I saw this and I have to go. Not thinking about the logistics or why they even want to go there. They just happen to see some dancing cool animals doing some great singing and figured, hey, I'm over in South Africa. Let me jump over to Madagascar at this point as well. Um, so also bringing back some reality to it as well is another component. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's... Um... It's 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 one 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 of those things that I'm not sure you can be taught as a travel consultant that you're going to have to do. Uh, is do you think it's a skill that you have to be taught, or it just comes to you uh, intuitively and over time through experience? So you know, I, I think it's a couple of things. Most things can be taught. You know, the, I can. It's you know, it's slightly a complicated question. So you're always going to be learning. You have to always be learning. Um, things change often. Um, I can, you know, you need to be taught fundamentals of business and travel. Um, you know, it's great. You know, I would always tell someone, they're like, oh, I love to travel. Yeah, okay, that's nice. But do you understand the business of travel, which are two different things? So you can teach, but then there are things you simply have to experience. Um, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been traveling since I was a small child. Um, around the world. So certain things aren't as strange or I don't have to make that leap um, to intuitively know certain things, but it, a lot of it comes down to experience. It comes down like anything else. You start a job, you start a career um, and you're going to know it over time. You're going to get better at it. I tend to have a slightly different viewpoint um, simply because of my background. Um, you know, I was with American Express for years managing account. So I'm familiar with looking at it from a business develop the market for industry from a business development stance. I also majored in hotel and restaurant management 
And I used to do trips. I was that perky person on college that used to always put together group trips um, and family unions and things of that nature. So whenever someone said, well, what's your, I'm like, it's complicated. And I've been in travel for a very long time. Um, but you under, when you're looking at both sides of it from an industry standpoint, as well as a personal standpoint, there are nuances that help um, intuitively when you're building these itineraries and when you're approaching it and explaining it to someone. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, have you chosen uh, a trip itinerary and where are we going? So, you know, I chose a trip that I was going to do last year and then it was COVID came. So it was probably, yeah, I was going to do it last year. So I was going to revisit Japan. Um, you know, from a culinary standpoint and from a cultural standpoint, and I, a lot of my clients were going to Japan, you know, there was excitement about the Olympics um, and a lot of people were going. So I said, you know what, I need to revisit um, Japan. And it's, it's an interesting country because they can be very precise about things, but then very quirky about things you know so you can you can be in Tokyo and it's all this glitz and all of the shining lights almost like pinballs and but at the same time you're going and you're eating you're going to the the fish market in the morning and you're seeing them bring you know auctioning off these huge huge fishes and you're going next door and you're eating sushi that just came out of it but then you're dressing up in cosplay and doing a go-kart tour throughout Tokyo in a cart, um, you know, and then you get into some of the other provinces and you're doing, you're staying in, you're doing a traditional tea ceremony. Um, and then another day you're going. So I like to blend. For me, all of my trips kind of start in a perfect world. If I could plan any type of trip for myself or for a client, there are going to be several elements, no matter where you are in the world. Um, a cooking lesson, I love private cooking lessons, how you come back and so you can remember your trips when you came back because you can actually physically make it, you can consume it. Um, and so that's your souvenir. Um, I love visiting markets. You know, again, every day people are communicating and how they're engaging markets in India are different from markets in Ghana or Nigeria or going to a supermarket here um, or going to throughout Asian markets. They're all very different. They all have a different set of vibrancy to them. Um, then there's also going to be the experiential. So what are you looking to do? Is it going to be you know, hiking? Are you going to climb the top of Machu Picchu? Are you going to... Um, you know, are you doing skiing? Are you doing any of those things? So then you start building in all those experiential elements to it. And then I personally like to stay in really nice places. Um, so that's also going to be important to me, but it depends on if I'm staying at a quaint inn or I'm staying at a house or I'm staying at a hotel or any of those elements. So I kind of blend all of those elements together. Um, so that's what I look for whenever I'm doing a trip. Um, but no, so then it's the, the, you know, back to Japan. So then it's like having kind of a traditional tea ceremony with a geisha, um, you know, going to other parts of Japan and experiencing udon and the different types of um, ramen, because there's very different types of ramen, most people, and it's definitely not in your package, but even packaged ramen, if you're getting Japanese or Korean ramen, very different from your average cup of noodles. Um, so, you know, but experience all of those flavorful profiles and layering it all in, 
that would kind of be one of the things that I would do. Um, and so, you know, you're also going to like go to the Glibly Museum. So there's, there's some educational going in there. Um, and, you know, I've hiked Mount Fuji years ago. So if that's, if you want to do that and it's the summertime or the springtime, you can, you know, hike Mount Fuji and it's not too strenuous, but it's strenuous enough. Um, and so you can see all of these different sites. You can immerse yourself in hot springs, um, staying at a traditional rural camp where you, you know, you're sleeping on the mats and it's the sliding doors. Um, you know, if you want to go to a hot spring, if you have tattoos, I can arrange for you to go to a private hot spring so you can experience that. Since if you do have a tattoo, you're not going to be allowed. Um, so it's also little nuances like that. Um, and then it's going to be a, a food journey. We're going to Go all throughout food. So every day it's going to be, whether you're into ramen, whether you're into sushi, where you're into traditional Japanese food, then there are other elements. Um, so we just kind of go through that whole food journey um, and mix it up with museums and other things as well and other sites. I'm a firm believer of walking tours if you can, if you're able, um, because it's very different from seeing experiencing when you're walking versus you're in a car being driven and you're seeing it from a you know, and you're looking down or looking across versus engaging. Absolutely. And, you know, I've got a friend who lives in Japan, just outside of Tokyo, and all of the pictures he sends are trying out ramen only. He is obsessed. <laughs> um, he, he's obsessed with it. So he, he's on a quest to sort of rank all of the ramen places, which I'm sure would go into the thousands. Um, oh, I would love to meet a... up with him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, next I'm time you're in Japan. <laughs> I, I will definitely uh, get his contact information because I am slightly obsessed um, mm -hmm. with, you know, it's like, oh, is it, how porky is it? Is it a miso broth? Is it a fish broth? You know, how, are the, is their egg perfectly cooked? Is it a, you know, <laughs> have they marinated the egg beforehand? Um, you know, how much care and attention have you done with it? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sensing a little bit of um, your ramen snob there, aren't you? <laughs> I am, I am. Um, there there have been some worthless bowls of ramen um, that I've had over the years. You know, it's perfectly cold, so I'm back on my ramen kick. But um, no, there there are some. You like is is the meat good? How did you prepare it? Some are strictly. I'm like, this is an Instagram bowl of ramen, um, which <laughs> tends to be a lot of the beef marrow, the bone the beef marrow ones with all them like this is perfect on my Instagram the broth <laughs> a little lacking you know how are the pork buns that go along with it some are trash some are good but no right. I am a I am a ramen aficionado super and so how do we prepare for a trip like this one you know before sure. somebody uh, gets on the plane to head off to Japan so, you know before you need to think about you know obviously any trip you're going to think about weather you need some comfortable walking shoes. Um, I always tell people, do not wear sneakers if you can help it. That just outs you as an American. Um, and it doesn't look that, unless they're cold sneakers. So, you know, I have some custom made Converse that um, have African fabrics on them that someone in Ghana made for me. Um, so those are my stylish hip conversation piece sneakers. Um, but dress comfortably, dress in layers. Um, and just, you know, just be prepared for the weather. I think, you know, depending on when you're going, it can be extremely humid. 
um, or it can be, you know, you need some layers, but go with a great camera. Um, make sure you have lots of space to store it. Always upload everything, go with your travel converters. Um, and, but the biggest thing that I will say to anyone traveling anywhere, go with an open mind. And especially during COVID, go with grace. Um, so go with an open mind, go with an open mind to experience things, go with an open mind to try things that are outside, go slight, go as, push yourself to go as far outside of your comfort zone as you're willing to go um, and get lost. I always tell people go into a city and get lost. Start at a point with no clear destination. Now, obviously you should have a, you know, a charged phone in this day and age. Um, um, you know, Google Translate will be your friend, um, but just go get lost and explore. Um, wander around the city, the town that you're in. And I also encourage people to do that when they're at home. Um, and you're going to discover, strike up a conversation with individuals. Um, and again, within your comfort zone. And I'm not saying go walking down dark alleys or anything of that nature, but get lost, go with an open mind and go with grace um, and patience. Right, right. And, you know, I tell people who come to Zimbabwe as well that, you know, Harare, which is our capital city, is like any capital city in the world. You, you mm -hmm. have to be alert. Yeah. There, there's no reason for you, if the same thing that you can do, say, in New York City, you are able to, to do. And the mm -hmm. things that you don't do, like walking in a dark alley, you, you shouldn't do there as well. So some of the things right. um, are quite common sense, but you know, you said custom-made Converse shoes with African fabric. And I was thinking, yes, it's me. I need me a pair. <laughs> so I will send you his WhatsApp. Yeah, I, I need that because um, I was actually in Accra and Cape Coast. We were setting up an office there right as COVID hit us. So, you said you got them in Ghana, yeah? Yes, but it was funny because some, it wasn't even when I was in Ghana. So a group that I'm part of, they're like, hey, I met this vendor. He's awesome. And he's taking orders on WhatsApp. So I chose the fabrics and everything on WhatsApp and had them shipped to me to the States. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I need one of those, certainly. Yeah. You know, when I go through your your Instagram, though, there are uh, links uh, that show mm -hmm. me feedback, but mm -hmm. I don't want to put words into your mouth. And <laughs> so I'll let you speak regarding the trips that you've organized and some of the top feedback that you've received um, over the years. Sure. So, you know, some of the top feedback is always, you really understood what I wanted. You listened to me. And then you made it come true what I didn't think um, it could. Someone once said, I make dope experience, I made a dope experiences, and that's what I curated, dope experiences for them. Um, but it's always going to be immersive, it's going to be tailored towards you. You know, we're gonna have a conversation, several conversations over the course of planning your trip. What is it that you want to do? Here's some ideas you might not have thought about. And I'm going to come to you with a selection and then we're going to craft it to make sure it's the perfect trip for you. So it's highly customary. Um, I've also been told I have allayed their fears of going certain places and made it seamless. So, you know, whether it is and handled all their logistics and all they had to do was show up 
and go. And so I made it seamless for them. And especially in the time of COVID, um, cutting through all of that understanding, um, constantly changing um, I, rules and regulations and when you need a COVID test, who do you need to have a COVID test? And sometimes having realistic conversations about, is this really what you want to do? So, but getting to the heart of what it is that you really and truly want to experience um, and no matter how out there it can be, I deliver. Um, you know, there are some individuals and I know my clients really well. So we have, a, we build a relationship so I can understand what they're looking for. How can I deliver it and, you know, and make it happen. So those are some of the things people would say about me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So you're standing at the prettiest place in Japan. Tell me mm -hmm. what you're looking at. Ah, uh, I am in, let's see, I am looking at Mount Fuji. When the snow caps are on top and the leaves are changing, so it's all multicolored, um, and you're staring across from it from a lake. And it's just one of those breathtaking moments that make you say, wow. Brilliant. You know, I've just uh, finished reading Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog, and he he describes his hike up Mount Fuji, which I haven't done myself. And now you're the second person, if we're counting there, the book. There's a point. Yeah. There's a point when you're hiking Mount Fuji where you are literally standing above the clouds. And that is like, wow. I'm here and the clouds are all below me. Wow. Um, it is a humbling moment when you're that high up and you're in that in tune with nature. Um, and you're also like, why am I up here again? This is why I'm up here. Um, just to experience that. So, you know, and then you're looking out from that vantage point, once you're out and you're like, the world is a truly beautiful place. Mm. But when you get to stand above the clouds, that is also always a fantastic feeling. Absolutely. And what was the biggest surprise for you in Japan? You know, there are, I think when, you, if you're talking Tokyo, it's hectic, but it's also, you know, but it's a different hectic from New York. So it's almost like it's a very precise, organized hectic. Um, whereas New York, it's all, it's ever changing and people are always going around you. There it's, it's very orderly in a hectic kind of way. And then, but then there are, they can be very proper, you know, and very contained, but then there are, you know, characters walking, people dressed in characters and main uniforms swirling an umbrella. Um, and then you go and it's super chaotic, but then it's quiet. So I think for me, that was always there. And then you go to Kyoto, which is very different, um, where it's almost a serene type of thing when you're going to different preferences. Um, throughout Tokyo. So it's always the differences, but you, you know, there are countries that are like Colombia is another example of differences as you go through, as you travel throughout um, Colombia, you know, everything from weather to the energy in every city is so different um, in one country. Brilliant. And you bring up uh, Colombia. I was going to bring up uh, the Galapagos in my next one, but I think we can focus on Colombia and say, if you are to then summarize the Colombian experience, what words would you use for that? Um, innovative. Uh, you know, if you go to Medellin, it is 
from a transportation, how they transform themselves from being the murder capital of the world um, to when you look at their transportation system, how they've you know, made inroads, it's astonishing and amazing. Um, you know, then you go over to Cartagena, which I enjoy, don't get me wrong, I enjoy Cartagena. It's a beautiful city. Um, it's a great walking city. Then you go to Bogota and the energy is completely different in Bogota. Um, even the way they've laid out the cities with buses, it's primarily buses and transportation. And then um, you go to Mompox, which is, you know, used to be a famous um, fishing city for, you know, shipping coming back and forth until the river, the, how the river um, inter engages change. So it fell off and now it's this small city in the middle of anywhere, in the middle of nowhere with this beautiful architecture that's a UNESCO city. And the main reason I went was because I read in a New York Times article one, it's a UNESCO city, but then they have this fantastic restaurant in the middle on the banks of the Magladina River um, where he floated down all of these um, pizza ovens and he makes some, it's some of the best hand pulled pasta I've ever had with langostinos and everything else in the middle of Colombia. Um, so of course I had to go in a pickup truck floating that drove six hours from Cartagena and some other places, um, but it has amazing boutique hotels that Europeans tend to know about, Americans don't know about it, because it's a bit of a challenge to, go, to get to, and most people have never heard of Mompox, Colombia. Um, so it's diverse. It is, um, you know, they have a, an interesting food scene going on down there as well. Everything from, you know, high end to hole in the walls. You know, I am not opposed to a street vendor. Just go with the ones with the crowd um, that will avoid your food poisoning 90% of the time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, it's diverse and there, you know, you go to Tyrona into the rainforest and it's beautiful and you're doing hiking and you're swimming in all of these parts of the ocean. Um, a lot of bugs, but, um, you know, it's, it's a gorgeous city. Um, and I think, you know, and then you go to Medellin and it's technologically driven. Um, so it's, it's diverse, it's interesting, whether you're talking coffee plantation, coffee farms, um, you're talking about hiking. So the diversity of Colombia is one of those underrated in places um, that I think in a few years, you're going to see more interest beyond um, the Medellins and um, the, the Cartagenas of, of the country. And how is it if I cannot speak Spanish? Um, I do not speak Spanish. So it is, it's, you know, look, I think South America in general, you need to understand some Spanish. Um, you know, my, my, my Spanish from school starts to come back the more I'm around um, in Spanish speaking countries. Um, Google Translate is your friend. I have had whole conversations with people with, Go, with Google Translate. Um, some people are starting to speak more and more English, um, but you can get around. I spent 30 days in Colombia and I don't really speak Spanish. Um, so it can be done and have a meal with someone, have conversations. I made friends all throughout um, Colombia, whether it was visiting tourists or locals. Brilliant. And you know, as we, as we come to an end, um, you speak of, you know, spending a month over here and a month over there, you travel slow. 
Um, you, you don't seem like you're in a rush to get in and out. And is that how you also plan our, our trips and design our trips for, for clients? Um, in a perfect world, yes. There are some people who I, I don't see the sense in doing, you know, the, I have seven days, I need to hit seven cities. Um, we, and when you kind of lay it out to someone how busy it is, how hectic it is, because you're, you're getting a taste of things. Um, so I will try and rein them back if they want to do three cities in seven days or 10 days. How about you spend those 10 days in no more than two cities and really, and ideally one. Um, and, I, and I understand, unfortunately, especially as Americans, we tend not to get that much time, but I think it makes more sense to spend quality time um, in one place so you can truly experience it versus, oh, I just kind of want to dip my toe into some place and then bounce out. Um, and so, and that's also where expertise of a, a travel advisor comes in is to explain those things. You know, you have cities where people use it as a jump off point and don't explore it. Athens is a perfect example. People you typically use Athens to go to Santorini or someplace else versus there's a lot of history, a lot of cool things and a lot of good food um, to experience in Athens. And so if you take the time to kind of slow it down and explain it to people, you can have a much richer experience if you spend more time. So um, once I have those conversations, they tend to say, you know what, that is a lot. Um, do I really need to go bouncing all around South America and spend two days in each place? What are you really getting out of it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, if you hit seven cities in seven days, you almost need a holiday after your vacation. Look, it's exhausting. I've done <laughs> those trips when I was younger and I thought that was a great idea. Yay, we're going to do that. No, no. I'd rather really sit out and explore one really good city and mm. you can change plans. If you've spent four days somewhere and you didn't like it, pivot True. and change it. True. Um, but I don't think, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I didn't like this place. Okay. And that's fair. You don't have to like every place you visit. There are a few places like that. Um, but did you give it a, a fair shot? You know, um, if you're going and you only want to eat the food you're accustomed to, are you experiencing what you're going to? Because you can get that at home. Um, you know, I'm fortunate I live in New York City. I can get most foods that I want um, somewhere in the city. Um, in one of the boroughs, someone's going to have it. But if, you know, I remember when I went to India and the first question that someone's like, you know, they don't eat meat, right? They don't eat beef. And I'm like, okay, and well, what are you gonna do? I'm like, there's goat, there's lamb, there's fish, there's vegetarian. I don't know, I'm not gonna go hungry. And then it's, you eat goat? I have some in my freezer, I do. Um, so, but it's this whole conversation of, I don't know, what do you eat if they don't eat X? There's tons of things to eat. You're not going to starve in any right. of these places. Um, so I, I think that's, the, you know, if someone's not used to eating diverse food or they're not open, which is why I always say go with an open mind. Um, you know, I always tell my nieces and nephews, you have to try it at least once before you say you don't like something. Oh, yeah. If you try it and you don't like it, then fine. You don't have to do that. And we are whole adults. So just try it just once, take Absolutely. a bite, 
be open-minded, but also be respectful if you don't like some foods. Um, you know, and I think that's that's my other takeaways. Be respectful um, of the communities that you're traveling in. Be respectful to the people. Be respectful to their culture. Be respectful to their food. You don't have to like every single thing that they do. You have the privilege of going home and never experiencing it again. But while you're in their country, while you're in their community, um, they deserve respect that you would want extended to you. Right. No, I, I couldn't have said that any better. And, you know, we bring mostly college students, um, well, from the US, from the UK, to be university students. And during orientation, uh, pre orientation and during orientation, we have to hammer that in uh, so much to say respect the culture and respect people in, in, in general and respect the difference as well, uh, which is part of the reason why we travel, right? Um, so right. that we can experience something that is different from us. And I like that you call your trips experiential. And during, during just this chat, you've used immersive four times. And so I, I, I kept sort of like kicking myself under the table here saying, great, um, these are the trips <laughs> that, you know, people should be uh, looking, looking to go to. But when I come to you and I say, I love food, what mm -hmm. destinations um, as options are you going to put in front of me? So let me, so it's interesting. When you say someone says they love food, I ask questions. Um, because loving of food does not mean you like diversity of food. Um, so before I always qualify, so do you like your food well-cooked? Or do you like things well-seasoned? Or how open are you to experiencing those things? Um, you know, how, off, how open are you to exploring different meats or different flavor profiles and all of those things, because someone can say that I love food I, and I've heard, which is why I don't like the term foodie anymore. Um, Cause someone's like, oh, you're a foodie. I'm like, no, I just happen to like a diversity of food because someone will say I'm a foodie, but I only eat chicken fingers and burgers. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I've had individuals tell me that they did not have a, you know, we sent them to, I, I sent them to Iceland and they did not experience their type of food from an ethnic group that they were expecting. And I'm like, you realize they're not that a diverse of a country. So it's going to be Scandinavian food, maybe some Asian food or some other things, but you're not going to get a huge diversity of food. So it depends. There are some people, depending on what their conversations are, I'll send them to a typical Mediterranean hotspots, I'll send them to Greece, I'll send them to Italy. If they're on the fence about, and even that can be a challenge if they're used to a certain way of things being cooked. But generally it's, again, it depends on what you're looking to do. So I will send them to Greece, I will send them to Peru, uh, which is fantastic from a culinary standpoint. Um, I will send them certain African countries because they are fantastic for food, but you have to be open to those things. So it really depends on what the conversation is. If you don't like raw food or you don't like, you know, Asian profiles, I'm never going to send you to Japan for food. 
Um, but it depends on what that person is. And we, I build a profile on all of my clients. Um, we have conversations about the types of restaurants that they like to do, the types of things that they like to cook, their openness on learning. And there can be someone who's like, you know what, I've never experienced it, but I kind of want to. So, okay, how far do you want to push it? Um, for example, when I was in China a few years ago, I was in Shanghai and we were doing a night market food tour. And the host says, you know, the, the tour operator goes, so, you know, what is your experience eating Chinese food? And one of the gentlemen's like, I'm here to experience because I know I like soy sauce. That's all I know. I like soy sauce. I know in my city, I've never experienced, you know, authentic Chinese food. Um, so I'm just here to learn. In an ideal world, that's the kind of person you want. Um, because they're super open. They've never experienced it, but they're open. So as long as you're open, I will send you wherever. Um, and I like different foods for different reasons. You know, I love African food. So depending on where you're looking to go, I will send you there um, and what type of experience that you're looking for. I love European food. So are you looking for, the, are you looking for Croatia? Are you looking at Talon? Are you looking at Italy? Um, you know, so it all depends on where you want to go. Peru has some fantastic restaurants throughout their country. Um, so if we're looking at South America, Argentina has a different flavor profile. If we're looking at Mexico and you want like authentic, different, I'll send you to Oaxaca. Um, so it all depends on where we're going. Um, same way someone will tell me in the States, I love Mexican. Okay, what kind of Mexican do you like? Do you like Tex-Mex? Do you like, you know, LA Mex? Do you like Oaxacan? What do you like? So same way with curry. Are we talking Caribbean curries? Are we talking Asian curries? What are you talking about? And so then we can build a flavor profile and an understanding of where you want to go. Brilliant. And you know, after this, I'm going to try and figure out what my flavor profile is because I tend to just like food. Um, I, I, I don't think there's anything I cannot eat. Um, I think okay. I've tried everything that uh, I, has ever been put in front of me. And while in, um, in, in Ghana, eating restaurant food, my hosts, um, our local partners in Ghana, like, no, 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 today we're not doing restaurants. Once they figured out that, you know, I was that kind of guy. And yeah. we went to a backyard on the street yeah. and goodness me, I don't think I've tasted better jollof in my life. Um, it was- the Nigerian it was, and me will dispute that, but okay. But no, right. I know what you mean. I got educated <laughs> on that too, which is a fight that I don't, I don't, I don't sort of get in the middle of, of um, where did jollof start from? I think that's a conversation for another day. That, that, but, that is a conversation <laughs> for another day. But I will say I do eat Ghanaian jollof and I eat Nigerian jollof. The rest, nah, I mean, it's okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's best to stay out of the jollof wars. Mm -hmm. um, it's because you never want to get in the middle of that. <laughs> Absolutely. And when it comes to books, videos, blogs, you know, uh, is there a place where you send people, friends, family, clients who are looking to travel? Um, you know, so it, it, it all depends. There are, you know, it's, it depends on the person. There's some places that I like that I'll send them to. Um, I'll also send them on 
And it also depends on the person and what the perspective is um, that they're looking for, they should have. So uh, there are some, hey, these are city blogs that I like, then there's some other people that do some great things as they're traveling around or Instagram accounts. But I'm like, hey, you need to follow some of these guys um, in some podcasts, but it varies. Wow. Um, typically, if friends and family are coming to me, they're like, can you like just tell me what I need to do? <laughs> um, and it depends on the friend and the family. Uh-huh. No, that's... So I'll, send, I'll stare them different ways, depending on who it is. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, thank you very much for joining me today. I had a lovely chat and all the insights yeah. on, on, on food. And I'm looking forward to further sort of figuring out what my flavor palette is. Yes, you know, and the more diverse it is, the more it's open. And it sounds like yours is, look, it's, I love street food and there is nothing better than going to someone's kitchen or someone's backyard or some little hole in the wall where they're doing some amazing things. Um, you know, and you're just like, wow, I don't think I would have ever experienced this or I didn't know about this place. So I've gone to some questionable places in search of the perfect bite. Absolutely. And even in the strangest places, I think in Lisbon, we were taken to an apartment, which turns out to be a restaurant, but there's no signage outside. And yeah. it was because I met locals who were like no we'll take you to the actual place yeah and yeah just be a yes man i suppose <laughs> look i i i'm always open and i always tell people if you and especially if you put it on a stick and deep fry it i will always try it <laughs> um hence there's some scorpions and bugs in my life mm -hmm. um but i was like oh it's crispy put some sauce on it it was great um so yeah I'm open to 99% of things. I will try anything once. Fabulous, fabulous. Thank you again for, for coming on and, and sharing with me. Thank you for having me. Have a fantastic rest of your day. You've been listening to The Hive from Teachers of Sustainable Travel. I hope this episode has inspired you to seek or to continue to explore travel with purpose. Join our community on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and please do subscribe so that you can receive notifications each time we have a new episode. Tatenda, thank you.